0: Good morning to each of you. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation and opportunity to encourage you this morning. Before we begin, why don't we uh, have a a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we are so thankful and grateful to call upon your name. It's my hope and prayer this morning that you would truly encourage and inspire us once again Help us to hear from you. Help us to hear from Scripture in a way that can uh, change us and help us to grow after we leave here today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perhaps you've heard of Christopher Columbus. I was born and raised in Montana, and uh, they always told us this little story about Columbus that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And uh, my public school teachers, when I was going through school, always told me this grand, amazing story about Columbus. But uh, they actually didn't tell me the truth about Columbus. They made it sound quick and easy and simple and successful. Whereas the truth about Columbus was kind of quite the opposite. Columbus spent many, many, many years going from one uh, country to another trying to convince the leaders that he was worth investing in. And if they would just give him ships and money and a crew, he would help them find the promised land. But he couldn't hardly find any country to trust him. And while he was waiting, he was getting one of the better educations of his day geometry, geography, astronomy, astrology, and to my surprise, even theology. And as he was going through all of these things and learning about maps, his brother was a professional map maker. Finally, the king and queen of Spain. Decided to trust Christopher Columbus. They said, we'll give you three ships, we'll give you a crew, and uh, we just have one simple mandate, find the promised land. If you find it, it'll make life better for us and for our people. Find the promised land. Columbus was convinced he could do it. So he left Spain with his three ships and he set out. In less than a month, he was out in the Atlantic Ocean and he encountered trials. One ship had a leak and a broken rudder. Another ship had a torn sail. And for almost a month, those three ships were just being tossed around out in the Atlantic. It wasn't until he finally fixed it, he discovered that they were off about five degrees the entire time. The crew no longer trusted him very much, and he was quite skeptical of them because they didn't trust him, and we know how that can happen with human relationships. You don't trust me, I'm not going to trust you, and it starts breaking down, and they're out in the middle of the ocean. And uh, so he does what I kind of consider, in my mind, a very American thing, and he just simply grabs the stern without thinking, without processing, without communicating. He just grabs the stern, points it in a hard southerly direction. And of course, he skipped and he totally missed India. He missed Canada. And he missed what we now call the United States of America. He landed on a little island down in the Caribbean. But instead of admitting to himself and to his crew that we were completely lost because they had this really nice color about them, (laughs) he tried to convince himself and his crew Let's just call them, you know, it's maybe not quite India, but let's call them Indians. And they did a little trading. Eight, nine months later, he got back to Spain. Round trip took about that long. And I can imagine it went something like this as he was held accountable with the leaders of Spain, as he went in front of the king of Spain. It probably went something like this. As they were sitting up on their high, powerful throne and they called Columbus in, they said, we're curious, tell us about your journey, Columbus. we're we're, We're just so excited about what you've discovered. And he probably had to say something like this, well, I went out on a journey not knowing where I was going. When I got there, I really wasn't sure where I was at and now that I'm back, I can't really say for sure where I've been. For Columbus, that's not so good to be telling the king, the leader of the known world at that point, that you're lost, that you've wasted the resources and you really had no idea where you're going and you really can't lead his people to the promised land. And for Christians, it's really not that much more exciting. It's not a good thing to be sent out by the king and not know where you're going. And to never know if you've actually arrived. And to never really know for certain how to invite other people to the promised land. Amen. I'd like to give you an illustration of how uncomfortable I could be here this morning. (laughs) I just need four volunteers, two adults and two college or high school volunteers. So let's see here. I need... All right, well, here we go. (laughs) So I need one uh, adult male... Just one adult male to, who's, who's adventurous. <laughs> it starts a little rough, but it ends well. So just one courageous person. I'm a guest, so I, if you peer pressure each other, that's okay, that's on you. All right? And then uh, hopefully one high school or college-aged uh, male and female Just one of each. All right, here's one. All right, so (laughs) a high schooler, there we go. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, so to draw this picture out here, because God, biblically, it's very clear, God has a plan for human beings that are on a Columbus journey. And uh, just to be clear, if you're in your uh, scriptures this morning or in your smartphone, if you'll turn with me while we have our four guests up here up front. Matthew 18, we'll start in verse 12. It's our main Bible verse for today. So if you'll turn with me in your electronic device or your Bible, Matthew 18, verse 12. Jesus, the great teacher, starts out with a question which we will propose to these four willing substitutes up here. Matthew 18, 12, Jesus said to his crowd, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 in the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? Now, I know it's Saturday, and I know this is church, so my, one of my instructions to the four of you is, as much as you can, as much as you possibly humanly can, just because it's Saturday and it's church, don't try to think idealistically. As much as you can, think realistically. <clears throat> so here's, here's the assignment. Uh, we'll start here. I'm a guest here, so I don't know anybody, and I'm assuming nobody has these issues. <laughs> We're going to start here. I'm just naming things that people in the world wrestle with, including Americans, including church people, even people of our own denomination. Hopefully, some of these plagues have uh, avoided this church. But one of the challenges in society, including a very well-exercised but also well-hidden challenge, is women beating their wives. No, excuse me. Well, that happens too. I hear you. But (laughs) But in this case, we'll say men beating their wives because he is a man. Okay. So men abusing their wives. It unfortunately happens. And so we're going to assume that's a challenge that he's wrestling with. (laughs) And another challenge that happens is wives beating their children, moms beating their children, whether they're married or divorced or adopted or however they got their little ones, adult women beating the children. I'm not talking about a timeout and, you know, all the, you know, taking away the, the game boy for the night. I'm talking about good old-fashioned, broken arm, bruises, can't go to school for a week, abuse. Unfortunately, that's the challenge that we're pretending you have this morning. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll assume that this fine young lady that, that sings so well that she wrestles with something that's getting very, um, I kind of think in some ways has always been around but it, it's becoming more, um, it's getting more publicity today, which is bullying. And uh, some people end up being bullied so much, they, they, the people they bully end up committing suicide. It can be a really challenging, challenging thing. Anyway, so we're unfortunately going to assume that you have that challenge. You bully everybody around you, so I'm going to move on quickly. <coughs> and this young gentleman here, he wrestles with, how can we put this for a morning program, he wrestles with spending many hours a day watching the most popular programs on the internet. If you know where I'm going and if you don't, praise the Lord. So we're going to say, and we could come up with a whole list of challenges. These are real challenges that real people have today, people we know. So here's the question. If these people have these challenges and you could fill in the blank and other challenges people have, if they really had these challenges, here again, I know it's Saturday, this is a Sabbath, we're in a church, this is the worship service. But if someone really had one of these issues, and and like we just read in Matthew 18, 12, <laughs> what do you think? Here comes God. Honestly, would these four people be really excited at Here Comes God? Or would they be afraid? The, mo- the, the woman who just beat her children, where you won't see them for a month and a half at church, not because she doesn't want the attention or uh, doesn't like the help when you help her kids, but they're not coming for a month and a half because she just beat her child and the arm's broken. And if you ask or look on Facebook, oh, well, you know, little, little Julie, she stumbled down the stairs. But no, 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 no. Mom threw her down and then... Step stomped on her arm and broke her arm. When that kind of stuff happens, honestly, would that type of person be excited to know that here comes God? Probably not. Nope. All right, you guys can be seated. These kind of things are what human beings wrestle with Monday. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sabbath. You're making us late for church. These are things that human beings wrestle with in 2019. Real issues. Real issues. And then he, here comes God. Remember, God knows Everything everything we think, everything we do, all of our motives, everything. And he, and he even doubles down, verse 13. Uh, if it turns out, and it's almost like God has a sense of humor putting in an if. If it turns out that he finds the one that is straying, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray. And the question is that with some people can almost haunt them. Why is God so excited to find me? He knows what I was watching last night. He knows that I hit my children. He knows that I was out late Friday night living the high life. God knows all of this. Why is he so excited to track me down? And based on our perception, our feelings, and our actions, sometimes that's not a very comfortable thing. Sometimes it's just frankly not that comfortable. We get nervous and we get scared. Have you ever been misunderstood? This commercial I saw many years ago, it's just glued into my brain because it's so powerful And uh, this commercial, basically, is about a credit card, of all things. (laughs) And uh, during this commercial, uh, it's a typical… They're trying to paint a picture of a typical American family. They're both working. Uh, He… They're both working late. The husband calls the wife and says, hey, hon… working late. I've invited one of the co-workers over for dinner tonight. Could you please stop uh, at the store on the way home and pick us up up something to eat, you know, so we can have a meal all together tonight? I mean, that good American, you know, wife that she is, she sacrifices, they hang up the phone. She leaves work and goes to the the community uh, butcher shop, goes in there and, and picks out some lamb chops and sets them up there and gives her, you know, credit card, so he's starting to package it, weigh it. And she's thinking, oh, I just know my husband. Next week, he's going to do the same thing again. You know, run late, do something last minute, put it on my plate. So she's kind of looking around the shop thinking, what should I, you know, get next week? And she's kind of going through the store. She's thinking, ah, next week I'll come in, I'll get some steak. And she looks at, ah, oh, I'm always running behind. I'm running late. Door's right there. Grabs the door. Walks out. Empty-handed. And she's going to her vehicle. She's in a hurry. She's multitasking in overdrive. And, and then the butcher's behind the, you know, the counter, finishes the sale. He's like, oh my word, where did she go? So he gathers it up quickly, runs over the door. He's got the bag with the wrapped you know, lamb chops in there and the receipt and the, and the credit card and opens up the door. And he's kind of, and he's a butcher. He's got a lot going on too, multitasking, overdrive. And sometimes when you're busy and you got a lot going on, you don't know what to say. So he just kind of says, hey! He's a butcher, so he's waving his knife. And it's Hollywood, so he's really big. And he's got this white apron covered in blood. And he's there at the door, hey! And she turns around, looks, and sees this large man with blood and a knife yelling. So, of course, she just starts to go as fast as she can in her heels. It's Hollywood, you know, so she's running fast, and the music goes from excited to average and then to this kind of scary, you know, like Jaws music or whatever, this scary type of music. She's running through the parking lot. He's chasing after her. A car starts driving in, shines a light on him, and you can see up against this building. It looks larger than life. He gets to her car, of course, you know, she has to drop her keys, picks them up, puts them at the door, and there he is she thinks her perception is what? I'm gonna die. Has absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to do with reality. Reality is He's helping her. He's sacrificing. He's bringing her the food. He's bringing her the receipt, the credit card. And that's what he said. Here, why why are you running away? You forgot your food for tonight and your credit card and your receipt. And you come in here all the time. What are you running away for? That can be the human mind sometime, the way sin tricks us and how Satan can help out in that area. As God tries to come close and help us, if we don't really trust God, every time he tries to get closer, we take another step away. We can even, it's completely ironic because even as church people, we can be telling somebody about God, even share a Bible verse, as God is trying to step closer, we step further away. And it's not just a a commercial or an opinion. Turn with me in your Bible, your electronic device, back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Genesis 3, verse 5. This is the very first conversation Satan had with any human being. And uh, though he's sinful and he's fallen, he's dangerously smart, and he's really, really good at farming. He really knows how to plant seeds and make them grow. Genesis 3, you're familiar with most of the story, I imagine, verses 1 and following, how he's starting to engage uh, Eve. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Uh, as, As the conversation continues, Satan just keeps getting more bold. And so in verse 5, Satan says to Eve. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. It's almost like he's giving them a spiritual mathematical equation where one plus one equals two, except Satan is taking the equals part and putting it first, and instead of seven an equals, he's putting a comma, and this plus this equals God. And what is he saying to Eve that God is like? Knowing good and evil. So, in other words, <clears throat> um, in Satan's definition, <clears throat> he's trying to advertise for God. It always amazes me that Satan uh, is not trying to make people atheists because there's something more, um, uh, how do I put this? There's something more challenging than being atheist. If, if, if atheism is real and there's no God, then it's just simply us creating our own problems. <clears throat> and that's uncomfortable, but that's not that big of a deal. What becomes a really big problem is if God is real. And if he's all right sometimes. But if God himself is evil, we get a problem because he has all the power, all the authority. He can be anywhere, he knows everything. You name it, he's got it all. And if he is also evil, we've got a real problem. And this is what, this is what uh, Satan was trying to share with Adam and Eve. And this isn't like the typical American Western um, knowledge, whereas if we're going to school here in the Western uh, part of the world, and you talk about knowing something, we say, oh, let's go to Google, or let's, let's go to the library you used to years ago, and you have to just memorize something. In the Jewish mind, when it's talking about n- to know something, it's the word yada. Most of the time, that is a very close, personal, intimate knowing something. And if, if you need more evidence of that, <clears throat> you can slip over to Genesis 4, chapter... Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where... Adam knew, same word, Adam knew his wife Eve. It was their honeymoon. And nine months later, they had a child. So when Satan is saying God knew that God is good and evil, that he knows that, he's trying to say that God is personally and intimately close with it, meaning God is that. He's not just mentally aware that there's challenges out there. It's meaning that is God. That's the biggest challenge for any relationship. Any human with any other human or a human with God? One of the biggest challenges is, do we trust? That's God's God's biggest challenge. Do we really trust Him? Do we really trust Him? If we trust Him, life can be better. He can take away our pain, our hurts. He can help us. But if we don't trust Him, we spend time running away. Perfect Adam and Eve, who'd never sinned in their life. This was their first sin, and they were amazingly perfect. And moments later, God does this very thing, as we've been reading about Matthew 18. God shows up. He says, "I'm here to help." And two people who are just Im- just amazingly pure and perfect, one mistake, literally, and they're already hiding in the bushes. They're already hiding in the bushes. When we make a mistake, we're supposed to not run from God. We're supposed to run to God. I'm over here. I need a lot of help. I'm sure you know everything, but I just really bloodied some stuff up. I really messed up that thing. Please help. But so often with human beings, no matter what our background is, we kind of do the opposite. We're supposed to run towards God. And sometimes people will tell me as a minister, they'll say, oh, Pastor Mark, but you don't understand what what I've done. And you're right, I don't. Even if I wasn't a guest, I still don't know everything. And some people like to hide certain challenges. But I do know that if you'll turn with me to Romans 5 in your uh, Bible or electronic device there, Romans 5, God has an answer for that kind of thinking as well, if you'll turn with me. Romans 5, verse 6, 7, and 8. This is uh, Paul writing to a a newer group there in Rome. And as he's going through these verses in Romans 5, 6 through 8, he basically is repeating two things. One thing he repeats is our condition, and the other thing he repeats is God's response. So in verse 6... Paul writes, "For a while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man maybe someone might dare do that. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." He keeps repeating the word "while," "while we're helpless," "while we're powerless," While we're ungodly, while we're without strength, while we're sinners, while we are stuck in that mud of why did I do that to myself and to the people I care about, while we're still in it, haven't impressed ourselves, we haven't impressed the people around us, we haven't impressed God yet, while we're in that condition, God, according to these verses, while we're in that condition, God demonstrates his love in an action to help us. He does that to help us because he cares. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference in our life if we actually believe it and we apply it. For example, I'll give you another story. A number of years ago, I was ministering in another community up north, obviously. um, And uh, we were in a small group Bible study and this woman, she was mid to late 50s, and she was sharing the story with our group. And uh, she was sharing how, because it was in the wintertime, and up north it gets cold, and so people have you know, the fireplaces, etc. And she had this big wooden um, log, and, and, uh, and she was, had this short axe, and because um, it was short, she had to get close, and she was just getting kindling from it, which is just smaller pieces of wood, so they catch fire quicker and burn better. So she's up really close to the piece of wood, and she's chopping away at it getting kindling. She got a few pieces, but she wanted more. And as she was doing this, one of the pieces somehow broke off real hard and fast, nailed her right in the lip, cut her. All, I can't remember if she had to have stitches or not, but, but it was really bad, bleeding, and, and just cut her really bad. And you know the first thing that popped into her mind? And she was raised in church. The First thing that popped into her mind, she was sharing this with the group. The first thing that popped into her mind was this was God punishing her because she hadn't been doing her devotions for the last few months. So in other words, her past, the way she'd been thinking all those 50-some years was, if she's like one of these four people, or even, you know, churchy, I mean, nothing like that, but just simply missing her devotions for a few months. God was throwing pieces of wood at her. Because that's going to help her. Fortunately, as she's been coming to the Smoggo Bible study, the second thing that came to her mind was verses like this God doesn't do that, Amen. God is love. God is helpful, God is kind, of course. The Bible has lots of wonderful verses where God also wants to get us so we stop hurting ourselves and hurting others. Amen. God is not the inappropriate, indulgent grandparent where you can kill the neighbor's cat and they say, well, we'll forgive you, here's a the sucker, and then we'll go steal a car and say, oh, grandpa loves you, you know, just come back for dinner. That's not a balanced picture of God. He does forgive, he cleanses, he helps, but he cares enough to help us so we don't have to keep hurting ourselves and the people around us. Amen. But the good news is, on it, if you'll maybe write in the back of your fancy bulletin, I notice you got a little scratch pad back there, write down on there Romans 8.1. Be an awesome verse to take a look at later. Romans 8.1, you wanna take a look at it later. It is so therapeutic especially for church people. Romans 8, 1. Paul wrote, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. And whether it's our own thinking or whether it's the fallen angels trying to make life difficult, I don't know. But so often human beings, and especially church people, sometimes we try to put in and cram in that verse little disclaimers. Well, but I'm highly educated, so I, I I knew better. Or I had good parents, so man, you know, I, I knew better. Or I go to church, or I'm a leader at my church, so I know better. Meaning what? So there, there's a little bit of condemnation for you because you're special. Or there's a little, I mean, I, I pastored one time this church. I had like a dozen people that... Their parents were pastors. That was kind of unique. I remember I had a church where like a dozen or more of the members' parents were pastors. I mean, talk about the level of just burden they were carrying. There's no place in this verse where it's like, well, okay, if you're, there's a little bit of condemnation for you, but I mean, not for us. That's not in the verse. Therefore, there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, None. There's none. Condemnation doesn't help when people, my experience, when people make mistakes and we fall down and we get into trouble. People that make mistakes already feel dirty. They already feel insignificant. They already feel damaged and depressed and hurt. The last thing people need in this kind of condition when they're hurting themselves and others is God or people throwing literal or figurative pieces of wood at them. Amen. We all need help. It's not good to hurt ourselves. It's not good to hurt other people either. But condemning ourselves or condemning others just simply doesn't help. And God doesn't do it. God doesn't condemn us as we grow. Back in our initial text, Matthew 18, verse 12 Jesus said, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? He has lots of other universes and this earth we have gone astray. Whether you like it or not, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is personally coming to look and search for every one of us. If we trust Him, and I would imagine you all trust Him to some degree because that's why you're here today. But we have that privilege to grow and trust Him just a little bit more every day. And the more that we trust Him every day, the more that we let Him move into our mind so that He can give us blessings and benefits so we can have peace and patience and security and hope and happiness and balance and victory over bad habits so we don't have to keep hurting ourselves and the people around us. So we don't have to keep saying for 15 years, oh man, I'm sorry. Sorry is nice, but what's even better is for 15 years not keep doing it. Amen. When we slow down and have those moments where we are willing to listen to God and trust him, This is the kind of stuff that he wants to share with us. Matthew 18, 14, and as we wrap up up to our close here, this is the kind of stuff that he likes to say, Matthew 18, 14. Uh, So it is not the will of your Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones would perish. Meaning, God does not want to go through eternity without you. It sounds cliche, it sounds simple, I'm sure you've heard that, but there's only one you in all of the entire universe. It would absolutely break God's heart to go through eternity without you. He has millions of angels, millions of people, but just one you. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But Columbus had no idea where he was going. Columbus had no idea if he ever arrived. And Columbus had no ability to invite other people to the promised land. Throughout his entire life, Columbus never, ever, ever even got close to India. Never got close. God wants better for us. God wants us to go to heaven. God wants us to be healthy and balanced and in our right mind as we wait for his return. And he wants to give us that wonderful privilege to invite other people to the promised land in appropriate, uh, kind, loving ways. So my hope and my prayer as we close is that we would uh, thank God for searching for us personally. Thank God for getting us off a Columbus journey where we have no idea where our life is going and be thankful that God has gotten us onto his journey and to be thankful that God is wanting to use us to encourage other people around us, to help them trust that God really is good.